guys, welcome to episode 82 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at FanBolt.com. And I'm Matt Rodriguez, the Owner-in-Chief Editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney of LastOneToLeaveTheTheater.com and ATLCW.TV. And we're back this week um, after, <laughs> we know you guys missed us last week, between the weather and uh, just the lack of time. Um, I got back from L.A. on Wednesday and then was supposed to leave um, first thing on Friday to go to uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, Walker Stalker Con, the last one of the year. And of course, snow happened and my flight ended up getting canceled and madness ensued. But um we're back this week. <laughs> Yay. Um, I will say um, with the, the holidays coming up, this is going to be our last show of 2017. And then we'll be back the first week in 2018. So um, you can look forward to that. But I do want to talk a little bit about L.A. because I didn't get to do that since we didn't record last week. Um, I was out in uh, Burbank with Harmon Carden, the speaker company, and uh, with Kia, and they were doing kind of an event. They had an experience, or they have an experience center that's a little bit north of LA for Harmon Carden, and they showcase all of their different product lines and some of the really innovative technology that they're working on in um, the retail space and in the sound space and in the um, kind of smart home space. and. Uh, one thing that was really cool that I saw, it was called architainment. And I've never heard that word before. It's like um, a combination of architecture and entertainment. And basically what that is, is, you know, lighting up the outside of the building. So kind of like what they do, um, they actually did the uh, Georgia uh, Football Hall of Fame here in Atlanta. And um, I guess it's just Football Hall of Fame here in Georgia. Um, but it's basically being able to do really elaborate light displays on the outside of really, really large buildings. Um, so I got to see some of that technology. And then um, really just dive into everything that goes into, you know, making really amazing speakers and really amazing headphones. And uh, it was just a really cool experience. And then from there, we got to... Um, ride in the stingers around around Hollywood to take a the goal was to take some pictures and you know kind of experience the the Harman Kardon sound system um, but the wildfires were so intense uh, while I was out there that it was just it was almost impossible to to really get any good photos and you know I was sending you guys some pictures of it it was insane yeah. that the largest fire was 60 miles north of the experience center but it was crazy. It's like we opened the windows at one point and ash was inside of our car yeah. and we were it, 60 it miles south. It looked like from the videos and stuff, it looked like it was so close. Like it, it was did. crazy. The, just the smell of it and the just the the fogginess of the the smoke. And then, of course, the day I left is the day that the, the other fire broke out that was um, just west of Beverly Hills. And that was... I mean, you just you don't really understand like the sheer magnitude of this and how how dangerous it is and how huge it is and how life affecting it is until you really see it in person, because, you know, the news just doesn't give it justice. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I had some family out in L.A. that, you know, they basically they had to evacuate because they were getting so close. Thankfully, you know, the fires didn't reach their neighborhoods or anything, but still it's it's a scary thought it is a scary thought it's uh definitely something that i pay a lot more attention to now um having actually seen it in person but um so yeah that was that was my uh my la trip and uh let's see what else apparently i was hitting the space bar continuously while telling you guys about that because my notes are now all messed up <laughs> um, it was fuzzy wasn't it yes. Fozzie is just laying on the floor right now, thankfully chewing something that doesn't have a squeaker in it. So hopefully we'll make it through the rest of the podcast uh, with her entertained with the same thing. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about uh, kind of the biggest news that we all woke up to, which was the the news that Disney is indeed buying Fox. So yeah. what, what do you what do you guys think about this? So, yeah, um. Just a little information in case you actually haven't heard the news yet, but uh, Disney is buying basically 21st Century Fox for $52.4 billion in stock. Um, so 
I mean, I think the big news that everybody has taken away from this is that uh, the X-Men and Fantastic Four, basically Marvel franchises, are returning to Disney. So now, basically, Marvel Studios can incorporate, you know, the X-Men and all of them into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, but... um. They're getting a lot more than that, you know. They're getting basically um, 20th Century Fox, the film studio or the film distribution studio, um, Fox Searchlight, The Simpsons, Avatar. Basically, you know, everything except for I think like sports and news is that Fox owns is coming to Disney. So um, they also now have a controlling stake in Hulu, which that'll be interesting to see. Because I know Disney has been trying to build their own, you know, streaming service that they announced. You know, they've been removing stuff from Netflix and everything else to, you know, put on their own exclusive streaming service. So I wouldn't be surprised now that Disney owns a controlling stake in Hulu if they kind of try to buy out all the other stakes. I think Warner Brothers and somebody else owns um, the rest <laughs> I, I was thinking that uh, Hulu was owned by Universal, so it was actually owned by Fox. Well, like, Fox owned 30%, Disney owned 30%. Um, I know Warner Brothers either owns 10% or 30%, and then somebody else owns the other thing. So, huh. But now, okay. now, under the new deal, it's basically going to be Disney owning 60% of it. So I wouldn't I just... be surprised if they buy it out kind of feel like this is like a monopoly on the entertainment yeah. space like that's, i feel like it shouldn't be allowed <laughs> like, yeah i mean it's it's kind of disheartening because i mean like disney they're in the business of blockbusters at least film wise you know they mm -hmm. they don't put out a lot of the stuff that fox does you know um shape of water three billboards those were all fox searchlight fox movies searchlight, this year yeah. and now basically they're going over to Disney and it's like of course you know in all the press releases and stuff like that they say oh yeah we want to you know keep things good as they are running basically but you never know how it's going to look down the line and you know when Disney has control of so much of the market you begin to wonder like how things could have been especially like you know with like the indie studios and the indie films because like that's that's not what Disney does right right yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's it's very scary um, for a film lover to, for one company can be controlling so much of the content. Um, and that, that really worries me a lot, especially since Fox Searchlight has put out a lot of great films this year. Um, I feel so like, I'm, I'm, I'm very worried about it. I feel like that's every year. I mean, they always have like at least one movie in like my top three that I think should win an Oscar, if not the top one. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of their, all of their Fox searchlight pictures um, are like that for me. So I guess I'm probably the most concerned about that brand. And then secondly, really concerned about um, some of the other Marvel properties that I don't want to see. I don't want to see like um, Deadpool get, uh, Disney-fied, like, well, like, you know? So, like, Bob Iger, who is the um, chairman and CEO of Disney, he, they actually said today, like, they're gonna, basically, like, they see that a world for, like, you know, the Deadpools and Logans, like, Deadpool was basically um, Fox's cash cow when it came out. Like, that movie made a ridiculous amount of money. Like, I'm not, I don't think Disney's gonna throw that away. Right. So I think, I think we'll be fine in that regard. Um, that's not what worries me. Like Mike said, you know, what worries me is more of the independent and smaller films and stuff. Right. Right. Well, um, time. So yeah, it'll be interesting to tell. see where it goes. Yeah, in a couple of years. Well, moving moving along, um, let's talk uh, box office reports. Um, so Coco came in first for its third week, bringing in 18.4 million. Justice League in second with 9.6 million. Uh, Wonder in third with 8.4 million. Disaster Artist in six, or excuse me, in fourth with 6.3 million. And Thor in fifth with 6.2 million. So I don't feel like there's any real big surprises there. Um, no. Although there there was a pretty big uh, 
shift, I guess, probably because they added way more theaters for disaster artists. So that's probably why we saw a fair, fair increase in its uh, in its revenue from this week to last or from last week to this week. Yeah, they basically added 800 theaters. Right. Um, well, we're going to talk about that one a little bit um, and just in a little bit as one of our two films that we're reviewing this week. But um, that being said, do you I mean, obviously, Star Wars is going to come in first next week. Yeah. But I feel yeah. like we we've got to make some predictions on what it's going to make. 200 plus. Wow. OK, that's uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, I'm saving I'm saving even, even bigger, like 210, 215. Really? Yep. Wait, what did Force Awakens do when it opening weekend? I think that was even more than that. That was, that was probably uh, massive. Well, the big it was the biggest worldwide opening weekend and single single weekend gross with five hundred and twenty nine million. Um, but that's worldwide and yeah. Um, domestic. Uh, that's all time. Oh, why can't they make it easy for me to find this information? I feel like Mike should just like have this like pulled up <laughs> he's our numbers guy um oh wait force awakens 247 million opening yeah. weekend holy cow see okay. I, don't, I don't think it's gonna do that much but i still think it's gonna do 200 plus okay yeah um well um are you gonna are you gonna go Price is right and lowball everything and be like one dollar. <laughs> one dollar. <laughs> one dollar. No, I mean, come on, it's Star Wars. Everyone's really excited to see this one. So I mean, of course it's gonna be huge. Um, but for the sake of competition, I'll say hundred and ninety million. <laughs> so That's reasonable. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I I think it's probably gonna do over two hundred though. I think you guys probably uh probably are in the right ballpark there. Um, but talking about Star Wars, uh, let's let's dive into our official review because we all saw it on Monday, and um, the screening went a lot better than the Force Awakens screening we, we went to <laughs> a few years ago and watched the power went out like seven times and they had to restart the movie. Um, this one, this was a good, this was a good screening. Yeah, yeah, no mishaps. <laughs> um, do one of you guys want to set up our our plot line for us in the Last Jedi? Um, sure. Why not? Um, obviously, we're not going to give spoilers here, so it's going to be a very basic plot line. But um, basically, the the film, um, you know, the the First Order has got the the Resistance on the run, and so we're getting these various different storylines all happening at once. So we got Finn and um, a newcomer, uh, Rose who is played by da, 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 what's her name? Oh my God. I cannot find it. Um, wait, hold on. Rose, Rose, Rose. Kelly Marie Tron. There you Rose. go. Yeah. So Finn and Rose, basically they are sent off by the resistance to, um, Canto bite with this, which is this casino town. Um, they're basically, they need to find a hacker who can, um, disable one of the, uh, the first order ships and meanwhile you know um poe poe dameron and uh princess leia or general leia leia now um they're basically being chased by the force first order and they can't go into light speed or they'll be tracked and so meanwhile all this is happening by them um ray is basically continuing. She's found Luke Skywalker and she is trying to convince him to basically return and help out the resistance. And so all this is going on. Everybody's trying to, trying to win and lots of stuff goes down. (laughs) It is a very action packed movie. Of course, a lot of, a lot of things happening. Um, well, cool. So let's, uh, let's dive right on into it on a scale of one to five. How bored were you guys during this one? I would say I would give it like a 0.5 okay. boredom factor. There's a little bit, um, as I said, there are like there's these three storylines going on, and especially during the beginning of the film, I felt it was very choppy. It kept jumping from one story to the next, and it was very kind of, I don't know. It just I would have like there was moments where I'd be like, okay, just 
stay on this one for a little while longer before quickly jumping to the other one. And it was just, you know, it was a little, it was a little getting to me. I would, I would give it a, a zero. I mean, I wasn't bored at all. Um, I, you do, this is a very long movie. It's 153 minutes long. Um, and so, but I, I, I felt like the pacing was good and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. No, I, I, uh, I definitely agree with both of what you guys are saying. I feel like, um, it's not really a, a boredom fact. Maybe it's more of a comment for the, for the rolling the eyes factor. So I'll, I'll save that to, to next one. Um, but this is a long movie. This is 152 minutes. So it's, it is a long movie, but yeah. there's so much stuff happening all the time that I feel like it's, it's impossible to be bored. It is definitely possible to kind of get a little lost and feel like you don't fully get one of the storylines before it shifts over, like Matt was saying. Um, but I wasn't bored at all. So I'm going to give it a zero on the boredom factor for me. Um, but moving along to the, the eye rolling factor, a scale of one to five, um, I'm going to start this one out just because... Ooh, I've, I've said it? I've said this what a few times. Your... Um, I and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that kind of bothered me a little bit. It's um, the porgs, isn't it? <laughs> no, I love them. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see more of them. Um, the, although that being said, I'm sure there's a spinoff coming with with them and um, you know BB-8 and a Olaf Frozen oh style. So I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they do like a Disney Channel. Kind of like the Clone Wars kind of oh, for sure. animated series with like porgs and I there, don't know. I could definitely see that that coming. Um, yeah, no problems with any of that. My my only <laughs> my only real problem was this was the first time that I was like, oh, Star Wars is owned by Disney. And of course, I've known that, but. I felt like there were a couple of scenes in the movie in which I could really, like, I really felt that um, things were just a little too corny at a certain, you know, certain moments or just um, the humor was a little weird to me. You know, we kind of discussed yeah. this. It's almost kind of similar to Marvel humor in a, in a couple of the scenes, which just didn't feel like it fit to me in those those moments. Um, other than that, I mean, I wasn't rolling my eyes. I just there were just some weird Disney moments for me that kind of bothered me. No, yeah, I I totally agree with you on that. And especially there's this one pretty much like the first joke of the film, the first real joke of the film that really like took me out for a second. But um one of the things that I think that uh Star Wars at least did but does better than like, you know, the Marvel superhero films and stuff is like they still manage they can still capture that the intensity of like the drama and stuff and still have the humor. But, like, it doesn't take away from, you know, these dramatic moments that happen in the film either, which I feel like the Marvel movies haven't quite done yet. Right. How about you, Mike? Um, <clears throat> I, I had a little trouble with, with the humor. Uh, I felt it, there was just a little bit too much of it. Um, and that was my one, I guess, quibble about this film um, that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, but they do a really nice job of bringing in new characters and get you getting to know these characters very well and know what they're, they're especially like what, why Kylo is the way he is. It was, I think explained really well in this film. Um, but uh, I, I just did a couple of times. The humor was just a little too much for me. Same page. Um, so best and worst performances, uh, which, what, which ones really stuck out to you guys here? Um, I mean, I, I thought Mark Hamill was fantastic. Um, you know, after, after seeing him for like 30 seconds and not talking in the force awakens, you know, <laughs> he, he, he does, he finally gets his due in the last Jedi, which is nice. And, you know, it's, it's just great to see, you know, Luke Skywalker back and, you know, I love, I love the arc of his character in this movie. You know, I, I just thought he was, he was my favorite. Yeah, I, I loved Mark Hamill uh, also. Um, I thought he did a really good job um, in the performance. It's probably his best performance ever, um, you know, in his, his acting career. Um, I, th I, thought it, I thought it touched all the nerves. And they, they, like I said, they, this film does a nice job of introducing new characters to us and and getting, getting us to know the, the, the other characters like uh, Ray a lot more. 
and see what what drives them, but also does a nice homage to the Star Wars of the past. Uh, yeah, I, def- I definitely agree. I mean, although I think Mark Hamill is followed very closely by BB-8, who I feel like is a real star <laughs> in this movie. Because so so Bill Hader then for you. <laughs> I mean, BB-8, BB-8 is a badass in this movie. Like it's a whole a whole new game for BB-8, um, which I really I really liked. Um, and to me, there wasn't any anything that really stuck out as like a bad performance, but there was a moment and um, I'm forgetting the line now. I know I mentioned it to you guys after um, after the film that I'm like, this is going to be like a quoted Adam Driver um, oh, yeah, yeah. line that just like t- totally didn't fit and just felt like a really angsty teenager. Mm-hmm. And I just, oh my God, it's going to bug me. Do you guys remember what it was? No. No. Yeah, no. All right. Well, I'm sure um, I'm sure when you see the movie, <laughs> you, you will know what we're talking about. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's uh, something to look forward to. Yeah. Any other were there any performances that bothered you guys or anything that stuck out as um, as bad? I mean, I was I was kind of hoping to see more of Lupita Nyong'o in it. You know, um, she plays Maz Kanata. Um and she she just doesn't she has like one scene I'll go ahead and say it she's in basically one scene and you know it was just like I wanted more of her cuz I loved her from the force awakens right and so but I mean when you have so many characters and then you're introducing new ones like I I loved um Laura Dern and Benicio del Toro I loved their their characters in this especially Laura Dern had one of my favorite um scenes in basically i would even say like the entire star wars franchise of course i'm not going to spoil it but that was a good scene though yeah you'll know it when you see (laughs) it you'll you'll know know it it. you'll know it when you see it (laughs) well speaking of uh benicio del toro um that role originally was joaquin phoenix his his role and he turned it down so Hmm. um i could see that i could see that too but um I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, he did a great job in the role, so I can't, it's hard for me to kind of picture Joaquin Phoenix doing a better, better job at it than, yeah. than like Del Toro did. Like, I could see did, him doing but... what Del Toro did. Yeah, totally. What do you think, Mike? Um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't really have a bad performance, um, person. I, th- I thought everybody did really well, um. So I, I don't have a bad one, but I, I definitely still think Mark Hamill was above everybody else in this film. Um, well, obviously, there is no Georgia recognition factor here as it was filmed overseas. But I gave these guys some rocks from the set yeah. when I came back from Ireland earlier this year. And um, I was really hoping that I could be like, just freeze frame it. And I, th- I think I can. I think I can now that I've like read some stuff. So when we get the DVD, I'm going to freeze frame it and I'm going to print out the photo of y'all's rocks. <laughs> but um, there's my rock. <laughs> it's um, it is really cool. You know, earlier this year, being out um, in Ireland and being able to see some of the sets or some of the landscapes that they used because um, they were obviously done with filming by the time we were there. But um some of the the locations that they used in Maitland Head and then um, Scaling Michael, which of course is the the island that um, Luke Skywalker is on. And it's, if it's ever something you want to visit, it's really one of the wonders of the world. It's, it's incredible. It's, um, it takes a little while to get out there via boat on somewhat choppy waters. And then once you're out there, um, I'm pretty sure I read that there's like no bathroom. There's definitely no like running water. It's it was all like a 12th century like monk. Uh, it's it's just really remote and it's. Uh, Is it like really Yosemite? Where it's like you, get, you gotta bring out everything you bring in. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Except uh, Yosemite has places that you can go to the bathroom in it. I just I, I'm just saying, like when you when you spend a while on a boat getting out to a location and then you're hiking up these ridiculously steep stairs, um, which they showed in a couple of scenes, um, although some of what they showed for that island, I'm pretty sure was Malin Head. Um, but it's just it's really dangerous out there and you can actually <laughs> only get out there. Um, hi, Fozzie. Um, you can only get out there um, 
uh, I think it's like the middle of May through like the middle of August are the only times that it's actually accessible to the public. Um, but it's definitely worth going. I need to take her shoe toy away from her. Um, she was asleep a hot second ago. <laughs> but um, another fun uh, production fact for you guys is that episode eight, um, the production name for it was actually Space Bear. Space so, bear. Space bear. Space bear. That's I'm interesting. I'm trying to think, like... Like, why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chewy? It, it could be Chewy. He's like, a, he's like a space bear. He is a space bear. He's a space bear. But, I mean, I don't know. I guess the mystery will continue. <laughs> what was, but, uh, do you know what um, Force Awakens, what their production name was? I might be able to find it here. Let me see if that's on a fun fact for, let's see, Force Awakens production name. Um, while I'm pulling this up, I will say that um, another fun fact that I had, the actual original cut for this movie was over three hours, which means wow. they cut quite a bit. And I, I mean, kind of, I mean. I mean, isn't that kind of like the industry norm? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if like, the majority of films that get released, like, you know, their original cut is like four or five hours. Like they do a first cut and then they really edit down. Like, so do you think, I don't know why, like whenever I hear original cut, like those never really surprise me because like, that's kind of like what I expect to happen. Fair enough. But, um, I don't know. I feel like fans are going to want to see that. And then I feel like you get into like Lord of the Ring territory where you have like five hour yeah. long DVDs that get released, um, which I wouldn't mind. Um, I think that would be oh, yeah. oh, no, I, further. I would love to see more, <laughs> more Star Wars of this, more The Last Jedi. Definitely. Yeah. Um, why am I still? I'm still not finding the name of it. Um, working Secret. title is Star Wars films. Here we go. Okay, what do we got? What do we got? Um, episode Foodles. Foodles. Yeah, Foodles. What? I'm not kidding you guys. Look it up, Foodles. F O O D L E S. Yeah, Foodles. Okay. <laughs> um, well, they, they were probably like, okay, what's the most obscure name we can come up with where people won't connect it to Star Wars? Because I'm we got to keep everything a secret. Trying so, to figure out why. See, they were talking about um, food halls, uh following the success of the movie. No, da, 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 da. yeah, no, I don't, I don't know why. We're gonna have to do some more research. We on, gotta, we gotta ask JJ Abrams. <laughs> um, episode six was Blue Harvest. So um, episode two was Jar Jar's Big Great Adventure. <laughs> 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 Um, so yeah, there's uh, some fun facts for you. We'll we'll do a little research on foodles for for next uh, next week for the to new see year. why. Yeah, and oh yes, for the new years because we will be off the next few weeks. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. So overall, on the official Atlas scale, what would you guys give Star Wars: The Last Ooh. Jedi? I'm giving it like a four point seven five. Oh, that's an interesting score. It's right up there to five with me, but this you know. A little bit of the humor, a little bit of the pacing issues. Other than that, it's it's a near perfect movie for me. Mike. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a five. Um, because I just enjoyed it so much. It was so much fun to watch, and like I said, they did a really nice job of being homage to the old Star Wars, but also bringing in all these new characters and and giving us a lot of background on them too. <laughs> I'm going to give it a four just because me recognizing that it was a Disney movie kind of pulled me out of it briefly. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a four. But it was it was still a really great film in my book. Um, speaking of great films in my book, um, our next film that we're going to talk about is Disaster Artist, which I loved. Um, Mike, you want to set this one up for us? Um, well, it's it's uh, a movie about making of a movie, um, making of uh, the Tommy Wiseau uh, film, The Room, and um, so it that's what this film is about. It's just about the making of this film and this weird guy that makes this film, um, and he's such a strange guy. Uh, he's <laughs> brilliantly played uh, by James Franco, um, 
um, and who also uh, it's just wonderful in the film um, and mimics him incredibly <coughs> well. Um, so it's it's a it's a really cool film um, about making of the room and all the weird stuff that went on while making it. So the the room came out in the early 2000s. I think it was like 2003. Um, yeah. And for those of you that are not familiar with it, it's kind of it's got a cult fan following. It's kind of known as the the best worst movie ever made. Um, and they have all of these midnight showings of it across the country where people go and just you know watch watch the screening and then make fun of it and yell the quotes out because it's such a quotable movie. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's dive straight on into it. On a scale of uh, one to five, how bored were you guys during this one? I mean, honestly, I wasn't bored at all during this. You know, it is just, it's absolutely fascinating, just the story that this is telling you. Like, it's so unbelievable, and yet it is, it actually, like, most of it actually happened. And, like, just the character and persona of Tommy is just so unreal. It's... <laughs> It's so weird, and like you're all you're constantly captivated by the whole film. It's so yeah, I was not bored at all. I wasn't either. Um, one thing we should bring up is that there is a special scene at the end of all the credits that you're not going to want to miss. Um, that's really funny and well done. Uh, so make sure you stay through the whole credits um, to be able to see this this scene because it's worth it's worth waiting through. Um, I wasn't bored at all either. Um, this is one of my favorite films of the year. It's I feel like there's every time so many of these people get together and make a movie, James Draco, Seth Rogen, and then all of kind of the the little fun um, cameos you end up getting, even though Seth Rogen wasn't really involved in like the writing of the production of this movie. Still, it's just when you get these people together, it's always a good film. And it's, it's at least always an entertaining film. Um, and this one was this one was really well done and I haven't seen the room. So I can say that if you haven't seen the room, um, there's certainly like, you can still get this and still appreciate it and really enjoy it. Uh, you definitely will want to see the room after this and, and maybe have, um, more patience <laughs> for it from what I've heard, um, after, after seeing this film. So, um, I'm going to give it a zero on the boredom scale. I just, I was, I love James Franco in this and it was just completely entertaining for me. Um, on the eye rolling scale of one to five, um, where would you guys put this? I, this one's hard because there is a lot of intentional eye rolling in this movie because, right. you know, it is the making of basically like the worst movie of all time. And so like, you know, it's this very artsy, so bad it's good kind of thing, but it's actually good. And so, like, you're rolling your eyes a lot, but, you know, it's it's a fun, fun eye roll. I don't know. I, I have no idea where, on what kind of scale that would go. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a, it's probably a five for eye rolling, but not yeah. in, an, in an annoying way. Just because, yeah. um, you know, Tommy is such an eccentric dude um, who also is such a mystery as to, you know, where he came from, his age, like how, how he has this much money. Like the room was like north of $6 million to make. And um, as you're watching this, this film, I guess it's, it's kind of easy to see how he spent that, but just figuring out like where that money came from, like who was this guy? Um, but everything he did was just, it was, it was just so much eye rolling, but it was like the best type of eye rolling. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Um, it's, you know, having uh, majored in film in college um, and made some short films while I was in college, um, it's certainly an interesting experience to watch a bad filmmaker make a film. Um, and he did just about everything possible to, to screw this film up, including being late to his own uh, to his own directing job. Um, so it, it was an, it's really interesting and fun to watch. Uh, so best and worst performances. I mean, I, I feel like best performance, of course, is hands down James Franco. Like, I, I don't think anyone would say anything yeah. differently. No, um, yeah, you have to give it to James Franco. Like, he he captures Tommy absolutely perfectly. Like, it's it's kind of scary how well he does it. 
What about you, Mike? Um, yeah, James Franco is amazing in this. And in fact, um, when the movie is is finished, they actually show you side by side the actual room scenes and then the scenes that the the actors did in this movie. And uh, Franco, it's so spot on with his impersonation of Weissau that it's just uh, it's amazing to watch. Um, my my only quibble on this, I don't really have a bad actor in this, although I, I guess it it also could be James Franco because he is playing such a weird guy. <laughs> um, my my little bit of a quibble is um, Ari Grainer is in this film. She plays uh, the lead actress. Um, and if you've seen any bit of The Room, um, I, I don't know, she just looks a little too Hollywood to me um, for the part that she's playing. And that's no disrespect to Ari Grainer. It's just that uh, the actress that played her um, that that was in the room, it's just a little bit plainer than than Ari Granger is. Um, that would be my only little quibble, and that's such a small one. I think that's 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 fair. Um, obviously, this one's not filmed in Georgia, so there's no Atlanta recognition factor here. But there are some fun facts that I'll drop here instead. Um, Allison Brie is actually Dave Franco's real life wife, and he uh, she plays his girlfriend in the film. Um, Johnny Depp was actually the original pick um, from Tommy Wiseau for who to play him in the film. And, <laughs> God, that would have been horrible. <laughs> you know, that but I, been, I feel that, like I could have seen it. Would have been hilarious. I could have seen uh, it. It, it. No, I'm sorry. But for what what Johnny Depp has become, which is a parody of himself, I think that would this film would have been far worse. I mean, it would have been a horrible film because I just can't. Depp can't do it anymore. Well, I don't know if I'm on the the same page with you there, but um, I do think that I mean James Franco nailed this and was clearly the the right choice for the role. But um, there's actually I can't remember what late night talk show I was watching the other night where they were interviewing. It was Jimmy Fallon, um, where he was. Uh, he was interviewing Franco and Franco was actually talking about like when he was talking to Tommy about making this movie and how Tommy really wanted Johnny Depp. Um, so it was kind of a, an interesting conversation. Um, and the only, only other fun fact I'm going to have, Oh, actually this is, um, a 24, the production company's first movie to ever be shown on IMAX screens. Uh, it was shown in a hundred locations on IMAX, uh, opening weekend. So random fun fact. It's a weird movie for IMAX. I would say. Like yeah. nothing, nothing from the film screamed like, "Oh yeah, this needs to be an IMAX." Yeah, but then there's... again, that's kind of going hand in hand with like you know the room, <laughs> right? Because like you know he bought all the cameras, he shot it in both, you know, digital and film at the same time. Right. So it's like that sounds oh, like he'd be like, "Yeah, let's let's shoot this in IMAX too. <laughs> let's do this in all three. <laughs> um, well, kind of off of what you said, Mike, um, about your quibble um, with Ari, James Franco only had two people in mind uh, for the role of Juliet, and his second, uh, Ari was his first pick, and his second pick was Britney Spears. Yeah. How do you think that would have gone over? <laughs> no? Not well. <laughs> Can she act? Like, um, has based- she done like a good movie? I don't think she's done a good movie. She's done movies. I know she's done movies, a yeah. I know she's done movies, but... I don't know. I feel like I that mean, would have been really maybe, weird. Maybe that would have been perfect for the character. <laughs> M- maybe. You, you um, never know. You never true. know what could have been. Um, well, on the official Atlas scale of one to five, uh, where would you guys put Disaster Artist? I'm giving it a... Um, Oh, this is hard. I think I'm going to give it a 4.5. You know, I, I really love this movie. It's really good. Um, it didn't quite make my top 10 list for the year, but um, it's really up there for me. And like like we've been saying the entire review, James Franco is just absolutely brilliant in the role and, you know, behind the scenes as the director of it, too. Right. What about yeah, you, Yeah, I give, I give it a 4.5 also. Um, yeah, it didn't make my top... 10 but it's still really really good and it's and it's so much it's fun to watch well it did make my top 10 <laughs> um, Boom. 
Boom. Um, I'm going to give it a four just because I feel like I can't rate this higher than Star Wars on the same podcast. Um, that just like, <laughs> seems wrong to me. Um, but I really well, loved it. Well, I mean, so, so did Star Wars make your top ten? Your your revised top ten though. Um, <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you know a movie can be really enjoyable to watch, but not something that you necessarily put in your your top ten because yeah. it doesn't really like. There's nothing about it that really like struck you as like incredible. I mean, yes, the effects are incredible and the story's awesome and it's really entertaining. But what James Franco did here with with this character. He he was just he was the character, and I feel like that for me made this movie, yeah. and that's why it's in my top ten. Yeah, um, I respect that. Thank you. Speaking of top ten, we speaking of talk top about, ten, I yeah, totally. We talk about, I was gonna. That's a perfect transition. Thank you, Mike. Um, <laughs> I was gonna Mike. do this. At, <laughs> I was gonna do this at the beginning, and then I totally forgot. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about the Atlanta Film Critics <laughs> Circle. And um, we had our nominations that were due and um, our, our votes that were that were due on Sunday. And so they uh, they had our our top 10 films of the year that were released after that. And then all of the the other awards were announced, too. So um, let's talk through a few of those, because I was really excited that um, everyone seemed to be. I don't know if you guys were, but at least enough people in the uh, the film circle were on the same page uh, with Get Out winning Best Picture of the Year. So, do you guys have that as your top pick? I mean, I don't have it as my top number one movie, but it was, um, I think, it was in my top three, most definitely. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I totally get and I totally love the fact that Get Out is, you know, the number one movie that we voted upon. So, like, I, I totally love that. Yeah, it, uh, it was in my top three. It was not my top film, um, but it was definitely in my, my top three um, films of the year. Um, I suppose there wasn't anything that really kind of like hit me as a surprise in, in this these uh, these results. I'm sorry, I have a golden doodle biting my hand at the moment. Um, I'm trying to pull them back so, up, and I accidentally well, closed them. Here, so, <laughs> Take yeah, over, no, guys. <laughs> so, so here are the top 10 2017 films as voted by the Atlanta Film Critics Circle. Number four, do you want to start with 10 or 1? Hmm? Let's start with 10. Let's make yeah. it a countdown. Although, spoiler alert, yeah, we already told already, you 1. We've already talked about 1. So <laughs> number 10 is The Post. Um, number 9 is the Atlanta filmed Baby Driver. Number 8 is The Big Sick. Number seven is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Number six is The Florida Project. Number five is Call Me By Your Name. Number four is The Shape of Water. Number three is Lady Bird. Number two is Dunkirk. And number one, as we said, is Get Out. I will say that I don't agree with Dunkirk being second. Um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised at how high on the list yeah. it was. I um, mean, I, I think for cinematography and, like, sound design and all, yeah. all of that, for sure. Like, it, it was my pick, I think, for cine- cinematography. But for best film of the year, like, two, <coughs> second spot, I just, two, that's not right. High. Yeah, and, like, yeah. I was talking at some of the other critics at... Um, at Star Wars, because every critic was there. And we um, didn't have our phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we actually so had, we to, had talk to talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, I was surprised at how many of them had Dunkirk, like, as their number one, as their favorite movie of the year. So, I mean, I had weird. it on my list, but it was way towards the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine too. I had Dunkirk at number eight. Um, yeah. I had Baby Driver as my top film of the year. Same here. Baby Driver was my number one. So. Well, I had Get Out, and Get Out got first, so I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think... did get I did get out at number four. Um, well, kind of. You guys want to go through some of the other ones? Um, best director was also um, Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan, which I do think I, I think I might have done. I don't remember what I voted for no. any of these other than I voted. I voted for Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. That was my best director. I might have done that. Um, <laughs> I should have had my my uh, my results pulled up so I could actually remember. I'm like borderline getting getting like the flu here, so I'm 
everything is blurred together for me today, trying to remember what I did last Sunday. Yeah, Greta Greta Gerwig was my number one pick. Um, I picked Edgar Wright uh, for Baby Driver as second. And then I had Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk as third. I had Jordan Peele on there. Mm. I definitely had Jordan Peele on there, too, for for Get Out. Get Out, yeah. Was there any um, any any of these uh, winners uh, that really surprised you guys, other than kind of talking about Dunkirk being in second for, for um, top ten? I would have liked to see um, cinematography. Um, Hoyt Van Hoytema, mm-hmm. he won for Dunkirk, um, but um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine was just amazing. Like, mm. come on, yeah, like, I. I respect the decision. I love it. I would have liked to see Blade Runner, though. Like, That's fair. I, I mean, I feel like in general, Blade Runner 2049 is not going to get any of the attention or accolades that it deserves just because I, I, it kind of... I think of, it'll get nominated for an Oscar for Best Cinematography. Oh, it'll definitely get nominated. Yeah. It'll well, definitely for Best nominated. Cinematography, I had uh, The Shape of Water as number one. Um, Shape of Water is really good, too. Uh, Dan Lawson movie. did the cinematography on that. And then I had uh, Blade Runner number two and then Dunkirk number three. All good picks. It was a good, it was a good year for cinematography. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a good year for film in general. Like It was. There were so many. Like I would be totally cool with like picking like a best top 20. Yeah. There were so many good films. <laughs> Yeah. Now, we, we did have a Breakthrough Award, and Jordan Peele did win the Breakthrough Award for Get Out. Yeah. He did. He did. And he did win for uh, Best Screenplay as well. Yes, and Best so. Screenplay, which I, I put, um, that was my top pick for Screenplay, was Jordan Peele. I, um, I, I want to say I did Shape of Water for Screenplay. I really liked um, um, our picks for Best Documentary. We had a tie. Uh, Jane, which I just loved, and then uh, Ketty is the other film that you wouldn't believe that you're you're recommending a film about cats in a town, um, but it's such a great film. I don't know if either of you guys ever saw that one. Yeah, uh, I, I saw didn't. it. It wasn't on my list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had, then. <laughs> I had Jane. Jane was number two um, for me, but um, my favorite was uh, Icarus. Which was a it's a Netflix documentary about the uh, Russian doping scandal, and it's just a really wow. good and fas- fascinating wow. film. So, if you have Netflix, definitely check it out. It's been out for a couple of months, and I think it's it's kind of flying under the radar. Yeah, it's and I, I had um, City of Ghosts. They had Jane number one, City of Ghosts number two, and then a film that I just loved um, called Dawson City: Frozen Time which is just an amazing film about this small town in the, in, uh, in the tundra. Um, so you didn't even put Ketty. No, I didn't. I, you know what? I, I think I forgot about it. Um, I, I, I think I just forgot about it. So yeah, I, I, I didn't pick Ketty and I probably should have. Um, I probably, if I had thought about it, I probably would put it in place of city of ghosts. Um, but uh, I really like Dawson City, Frozen Time. It's, a, it's a, just an f- amazing film. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think all of the, uh, the winners are – so it's a pretty, pretty solid list. I think, yeah. we, I think we did a good job, guys. I think we did too, you know. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think there's going to be – I think this is also going to be what we're going to see around Academy Award time. I think so too. Uh, with Willem Dafoe, especially in the Florida Project, and Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird. And uh, Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water, because she makes that film work. Um, and then, of course, then you got Timothy uh, Chalamet um, in Call Me By Your Name. Um, and he was one of our two choices for Breakthrough um, Award. Uh, so this was the, um, the first year of the Atlanta Film Critics Circle. So um, it was pretty, pretty cool that uh, we got to be a part of this. Yeah, and uh, we still have. Um, we'll be voting in the the Georgia, the Georgia Film. What is it? Georgia Film Critics Association. Is that yeah. the official side? I get it confused. I, I confuse them all the time. Um, but we'll be voting in that one coming up here soon. And I, the only thing that I think uh, that's going to change for me is uh, we saw the greatest show. Yeah, um, which <laughs> we may be under embargo and not supposed to talk about, <laughs> but 
Um, I'm not sure if I we mean, actually it's, are. It's already appeared on some. I've seen it on some lists. So, I mean, we can at least say that much, I say. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's knocked out one, one Hugh Jackman role for another on my top ten list. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. It's, um, it's a... It's definitely going to change some of my my voting. So next week, even though we won't be with you guys, um, we are going to be having two Georgia films released, or filmed in Georgia movies that will be coming out, Jumanji and Pitch Perfect 3. Um, so be on the lookout for those. And um, tweet us or Facebook us if you if you see any Georgia, Georgia spots, any Georgia sets. Um, we also have Project Cosplay next Thursday, um, the 21st at... Edgewood on on Edgewood at Joystick. I can't talk today. I'm just gonna go take Nyquil after we finish this podcast. Um, but um, so yeah, happy happy holidays, and we'll talk to you guys in 2018. Um, you guys have any farewell 2018 words for people? You mean, you mean farewell 2017? <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, i am uh, i'm degrading fair, fast fair, at good, the end of this good, podcast by 2018 <laughs> we're, we're just gonna take an entire year off and we will see you in 2019 <laughs> just like everything else game of thrones stranger things yes, we'll be back yes. when they're all back you know. um but no we'll be back in the first week of january 2018 <laughs> um my bad um you guys have any parting words for 2017? <laughs> Just hurry up and end already. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. We hope you have a fabulous holiday season. And uh, again, thank you for listening. Be sure to leave comments for us on social media. Rank us um, on iTunes and SoundCloud and everywhere you can. You can review us. Review us. Review us kindly. <laughs> um, please. Please. <laughs> we, need, we need those likes. We need the likes. Um, but again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, my name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at Bamble.com. And I'm Matt Rodriguez, the Owner-in-Chief Editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike with last one to leave the theater.com and ATLCW.tv. And uh, we'll see you guys in 2018. See ya. <laughs>